You're listening to Trek FM. There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it. <laughs> I was there more times than I can remember. She with you? I thought she was with you. Welcome, everyone, to Trek FM's local watering hole. We are live here. Well, not really live because you're going to be listening to this recording, but we are live right now from Hell's Kitchen, New York. Uh, I hope you've gotten something special from Ruby. She's flown up here to give us uh, a round of drinks, and uh, if you're anything like Jessica Jones, it doesn't matter what they serve you. You'll drink it, so that's probably why Daniel's drinking Fanta, so... uh, Welcome, everyone. I'm really excited to, to hit this supplemental. This is going to be a pretty big supplemental uh, because we wanted the opportunity to get a chance to talk about this brand new Marvel project, Jessica Jones. Now, before we do that, I do want to remind everybody that the 602 is part of the Trek FM network. You can find all of our shows all throughout Star Trek and beyond at iTunes.com slash TrekFM. We're online at TrekFM. That's Trek.FM there online. You can find us on Twitter at TrekFM, Facebook at Facebook.com slash TrekFM. Send us any thoughts that you have about anything we talk about here in the 602 Club. Just go to Trek.FM slash contact. Choose the 602 Club. That'll come to us. And, of course, you can leave us a voicemail. We've gotten a few voicemails recently, so that's always fun. Look in the sidebar on the show page or go to SpeedPipe.com. And then the best place to talk to all of us, the Babel Conference. That's our listeners-only discussion group there on Facebook. Just go to Facebook, and in the search field there, type Babel. Or you can go to our website at trek.fm and click Discussion on the menu bar. Well, I did want to introduce who we have this week, because it's going to be a fun show. Before we jump into Jessica Jones, we're going to talk just a little bit. The Batman v Superman trailer came out, and so just thought I'd get everybody's thoughts on that and just kind of where they were. Um, you know, we're not going to go into depth. The movie's out in a few months, so anything we say here is going to be moot point by that anyway. So just kind of wanted to see where everybody thought about that. Well, first, uh, Daniel, it's great to have you back in the uh, 602 Club. Uh, here from Hell's Kitchen. Uh, it's been a while since you've been in here. Yeah, well, I I, t- I seem to pop up for the Marvel stuff, so I guess that's uh, it's been since uh, what I guess uh, Daredevil would have been the last time, right? Which I mean, I think you're going to love next year because I was looking at the schedule and we are covering a lot of Marvel uh, because we're trying to catch up to be a little more current so that uh, there aren't so many movies in the catalog we haven't even talked about here on the Six O Two Club, so. I mean, we've got the the classics like, you know, Thor. I mean, who doesn't want to talk about Thor uh, and Thor 2? I mean, uh, <laughs> but we've got the good stuff coming too. So uh, I think everybody will enjoy that. Mike, great to have you here uh, in the 602 Club. How's it going? It's going well. Thanks for having me. Excellent, man. Well, I'm excited to have you here because I know how big of a fan you are of Jessica Jones because you actually gifted me the first comic in the series and we're like, you need to read this. So, yes. Yeah. Yeah, I gave it to, to you, Andy, and Drew. Sorry, Daniel. I, I apologize. It means he doesn't <laughs> love you. I guess that lets you know where you... Aw. Well, he beats me sorry. in Bridgemates and then he doesn't even give me the comic. You know, it's just, it's typical. It really is. Well, of course, uh, we could not have uh, something Marvel 
without having the rest of the Marvel posse here. Andy, so glad that you could join us tonight. Me too. I'm excited to talk about Jessica Jones. Well, uh, so this is where the two universes, uh, we'll talk a little DC real quick. Um, So the trailer just dropped last night and just kind of wanted to see what you guys thought. Um, Daniel, what did you end up thinking? Because we were kind of geeking out about it just a few days ago online. We're talking about back and forth. So what did you end up thinking about what we got? I I I think I'm split directly down the middle with this one, um, which is actually quite a bit of an improvement on kind of how I felt about this movie before. I don't know what that says or or what it doesn't say, but uh, I was on this show. I was on the 602 when we talked about Man of Steel. So if you want to go listen to that uh, for my yeah, that's number fifteen. My, yeah, so impressions check that on out. that, um, but. Uh, it's, uh, there are elements that I'm really, really actually interested in and excited about. And then there are elements that I'm kind of scratching my head towards. So I guess I don't really have anything meaningful to kind of comment on it. Um, uh, uh, Eisenberg's Luther is really interesting to me. I I was kind of an early defender of Eisenberg's, uh, casting because I really like him and I kind of like maybe this new kind of thing. But then the trailer is like, I'm not really sure what direction they're going. Maybe it'll be good. Again, I don't really know. And then the inclusion of, at the end uh, of, uh, oh my goodness, I can't even think of his name. Help me out here. Doomsday, thank you. Uh, Which really surprised me. I was shocked at how much plot this trailer gives away. Like, I feel like this trailer is a three-minute condensed version of the movie. And then it gives away this Doomsday twist and then... Wonder Woman at the end, and then that's it. And I'm like, okay, uh, I guess this isn't really a Batman v Superman movie anymore. We now know that there's something else going on, and there's another bad guy. And so I'm I'm curious to see what happens, and I, I I'm looking forward to it because the the ending shot with the three the Trinity there was fantastic. I did like that. Uh, but I, yeah, we'll I mean, it looks like a Jim Lee painting. That's really what it looks like. Uh, if you took Jim Lee's art from uh, you know the the new fifty two for some of the things that he's done with three those three characters that looks pretty much like it. It's it's pretty awesome. <laughs> um, well, what about you, Mike? Uh, well, I'm with Daniel in that. You know, I thought they did give away too much. Like, I I've read enough comic books and seen enough movies to know that you know Batman and Superman will fight each other and eventually realize that they're on the same side and then team up to fight a greater threat. Spoilers, but when you're naming your movie Batman versus Superman, maybe don't give away the turn where they team up to fight a bigger threat in the trailer. I don't know. That was kind of that kind of bummed me out. Um, I uh, on the whole, I mean, I thought it was an okay trailer. Um, I definitely think the trailers that they released earlier were were better. Um, but you do get a glimpse of. Uh, Ben Affleck's um, Bruce Wayne, which I thought was interesting. And you get a glimpse of the photography, which, uh, you know, I thought was was really kind of nice. You know, it, it definitely took advantage of the anamorphic uh, lenses and whatnot, which kind of made me happy. And, um, <laughs> yeah, and, and then, um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah, it was cool. It's definitely not a very good trailer, but I am definitely looking forward to this movie. What about you, Andy? It looked pretty. Wonder Woman was there. That was good. That's basically my feelings on it. 
hey, they just they've been working on her solo movie. I'm very so excited I, for that. Yeah, me um, too. The Lex Luthor guy has a bad wig. I don't like it. it but it should be it a bad really wig, should be. right? Yeah, it it's should actually be. supposed I know, to be but a he's wig. Like, being menacing and stuff, and I just want to knock it off his head. So there's that. Well, that could very well. I happen hope it in does. Yeah, I'll add a whole star to whatever review I have if somebody just knocks that thing right off his head. Hopefully, it's Wonder Woman, Doomsday and then I'll be even just happier. Turns around, you know, and and accidentally knocks it off. There you go. I okay. I, you know, everybody knows that I love uh, Man of Steel. If you listen to episode number fifteen. Go back and listen to it. It was a fun episode. Um, we had a great time, even though Daniel and I were on opposite sides of the aisle most of the time. It was a it was a fun episode. Um, but last night I had finished recording Literary Treks with Dan. I go outside into our living room to watch uh, Arrow with my wife, and I get the notification on my phone from somewhere that the the trailers drop. So I immediately pause the cable, turn on the Apple TV so that we can watch the trailer and my wife can attest I I was pretty much Tom cruising it on the couch I I love the trailer I I think it's it's great um I can see the criticism that it might show too much but I also feel like to me that the trailer also it makes me just ask a lot of questions like how do we get here to here and I'm still very interested to see all of that I love Ben Affleck is is Batman, the older Batman. I think he's fantastic. I've always thought he'd be good. Uh, I think Cavill has a lot of the charm that I saw in Man from Uncle showing through in this film, and they're giving him a lot more opportunity to to spread his wings <laughs> as Superman. Uh, I think that's fun, and uh, I can't wait to see Wonder Woman. I liked the humor. I think Lex is is great. I think. Honestly, his persona in public is different than his persona in private. I think he's just putting in an act, kind of like Bruce does. Uh, so yeah, I just I think that this is going to be a really really good movie. So I can't wait. I I I, I could honestly say I am just as excited to see this movie as I am to see Star Wars. And everybody knows how big of a Star Wars fan I am. So, <laughs> um, but all that said. Let's talk about some Jessica Jones. And Mike, because you gave me the comic, I had a couple of questions about Jessica Jones' history because a lot of people don't really know Jessica Jones or the history of the comic or, you know, any of that. So I was, I was hoping maybe you could educate us a little bit uh, as the listening audience for many people who don't necessarily know. How did the Jessica Jones comic come to be? And where was she? Because there's some... I mean, there are parts of the, the comic series where, I mean, she's a part of the Avengers and things like that, that they don't, they they kind of slowly, subtly allude to. That's a road she could have gone down, but she doesn't in the show, but in the comic she did. So I just kind of wanted you to let everybody know some of those things that they, they might not be able to pick up just from the shows that we got here on Netflix. Sure, yeah, um... I, I hope I'm going to try to not make this super long and boring. Um, like there is like there's so much stuff. But anyway, uh, OK, this comic, it was called Alias. Uh, it was the first in a new line of comics for for Marvel called uh, Max, 
which was their sort of like adult reader um, line, like basically their equivalent of DC's Vertigo. And um, this was the very first uh, comic book in the line. It was written by Brian Michael Bendis and drawn by Michael Gatos, who um, is, is a fantastic artist. And Bendis, of course, he was, I, I don't, I'm, I'm assuming he still is, but at the time he was like the king of Marvel, having done like Ultimate Spider-Man, and he was doing Daredevil at this time and everything like that. And the comic, in a lot of ways, is is similar to what the, the show is, uh, in that it's kind of a deconstruction of the genre, of the universe. And um, she is still a private detective and everything. It's very much the same character. Like, they basically took the character out of the book and put her into the show, and it's almost exactly the same. And it, the show is a really good adaptation of the book in the sense that it's, you know, taking the elements which are important and, you know, converting them to this different medium, even if it is telling a, a slightly different story. But uh, the comic book, it only lasted 28 issues, and then it, be it became something else. Uh, but those initial 28 issues were really sort of like a detective book, like Chinatown or, or the Maltese Falcon or something like that. And there were like, I think five story arcs and each story arc was its own sort of like detective story. And it, it, I, I would say if you, if you had to compare it to something in the show, it was most similar to like the first couple episodes of the show, you know? Um, and there'd be like a, a random case that would somehow have like a, a superhero element to it like for example the first storyline she's hired to follow like a you know a wandering spouse and in the process she accidentally learns captain america's secret identity and then it becomes about like is someone setting her up what's she going to do with this info and, and all that sort of thing but the whole thing with like the purple man Kilgrave, that was um always you know from the very beginning you know that something happened she had a history. She was a superhero. When people ask her, what happened? Why did you stop? She would say something like, I outgrew it. You know, I mean, something, it, it was, they were being very vague about it all. But you knew that something happened and she was suffering from PTSD and all this stuff. And it's not until the very last story arc where they do like kind of like a secret origin of Jessica Jones and you find out all about her history and the way that it comes up is because through an interesting series of events, Kilgrave ends up back in her life. And that's when I think you find out about Kilgrave for the first time and, and what it is that, that, that happens. So it's much more episodic, but very similar to what you see on the screen. That, Was that no, no, that's sorry. fantastic because I think that leads us into a great discussion about the characters, the actors, and their story here throughout the the Netflix series. And you know, uh, Kristen Ritter playing Jessica Jones. Um, I I had only known her from the Bee in Apartment Twenty Three, and I never saw the yeah, I never saw the show, but I mean, I knew that it existed because I saw the commercials on ABC when I'd watch other things. Uh, you know, so when I, they cast her as Jessica Jones, like, I mean, okay, I don't, I don't really know her for much, but I have to say that for me, throughout the entire series, it really is her and 
David Tennant that drag me through the whole thing. They're just so good. And so I really appreciated that they uh, they just found the right person to be the right character. And that's probably the most important thing you can do when you're casting a show like this, you know, where everything is going to revolve around her. I, I just, I thought she was great. So I'm kind of wondering what you guys thought. If you haven't seen Don't Trust the Bee in Apartment 23, you should. It's great. She's great in it. Um, the other thing that people might want to check out if they liked either her or the show is Veronica Mars. She has an arc in season two of Veronica Mars. Um, and actually, the show has a lot in common with Veronica Mars. You have a female private investigator dealing with a lot of trauma, and it's kind of noir and dark and stuff. So those are two things that you might want to check out if you want to know more about Kristen Ritter. As for her performance, I thought it was stellar, and she was perfect. And I would I can't see anyone else in the role ever again. And I was extremely happy with it and with her. Yeah, I uh, was familiar with Kristen Ritter, but mainly for her more like comedic things like uh, um, she's the man, you know, and, and I thought that she was very good in those. But when I first found out that she was cast, I was like, I just don't know if I see her as Jessica Jones, even though she is a good actress. And then I got to her arc on Breaking Bad, and I was like, oh, yeah, she can totally do this. And I thought that she was really, really good and very much sort of embodied, you know, the character as as I had imagined her from reading the comics. Yeah, I, I, I was completely uh, unspoiled, I suppose you would say, on, on her as an actress going in. I've never seen her in anything. Um, and I, I again, I can only echo what you got. Like she uh, – and not knowing the character – extremely well either um i i now i just kind of conflate the two that's who she, that's who she is she did such a great job she, i felt like she she played that character so well um and really so convincingly that uh i, I imagine the two would be inseparable from in my head from this point on i i'm sorry i i said she's the man it's she's out of my league i apologize no that's okay you're kicked okay. out every once in a while you you're get off things the wrong, show Mike, now and, and it's okay um, but watch both of those movies because they're both good. <laughs> what I love is that I'm I'm with you, Daniel. I, I really hadn't seen her in anything, so I didn't have any preconceived notions. And I think that was really helpful because I didn't know too much about Jessica Jones other than flipping through the, the comic that you gave me, Mike. And I, I had done a little bit of research. I watched an internet uh, YouTube video about her history and her character and the darkness of, of the comic and how they – how would they do this? So I thought that was really interesting. And she just, um, she has a way of being really dark and gritty, as we like to talk about all the time these days. And yet, at the same time, being really funny. Just, she does dark humor uh, really well. And, uh, you know, I think that was obviously the most important thing to be able to pull out of this character because that's who she is, you know. Um, she's the hard drinking wise ass you know and I, I really she has a way of making you feel like she's older than she actually is um and uh, you know with a character who has this much trauma in her life you feel it and you know they don't they don't have to show it to you at all but you just feel it and that's that's really hard to do i think as an as an actor um, the thing I liked most is that she was able to be both tough and vulnerable, which is hard to do. 
It's hard to pull off those simultaneously, and she did that very well. Especially with a female character and not making people lean one way or the other too much, you know? Like, I think it that's probably even harder to do than anything else. And, yeah, I'm right there with you, Andy. Yeah, I mean, just to go along with that, I didn't, I don't like the character. Um, I, I didn't, uh, she's not the person I would want to be my friend. Um, just because, but she is the person that I was rooting for the whole time. And that's kind of a thin line to draw there. I, I just, I felt like, um, you know, because of everything she's been through and, and, and kind of how she deals with situations, like, I'm like, man, it would be tough. It would be really tough to, like, be someone that is in your sphere of influence. It's it's probably got to be kind of difficult. And, and of course, through the, the, the entire arc of the show, you learn why and you learn, like, how she deals with things and, and what's happened to her. And that, and that kind of, like, pushes you to understand why she is the way she is. And I think in the same way that it's it's... It's just, it's a hard, it's hard to play that sympathetically. And for me, I was, I was, there was no point at which I was like, I was not like, you go, Jessica Jones. You, you do what you have to do. The entire time I was on her side and like, yeah, I totally get where you're coming from. And you need, you have stuff you need to deal with. It was, it reminds me of when um, Rosaria Dawson's character is like, are you a nice person? And she's like, no, I'm an <laughs> asshole. <laughs> And I was like, yep, that's that's you. <laughs> I love it. Like she just she knows that and I think that's another really great character trait that Kristen's able to portray. She just is who she is and she doesn't apologize for who she is, you know? And and part of that comes from what she's been through. Uh, but at the same time, there's uh, there is this vulnerable side that she has that you were talking about Andy where, you know, she does care about people or she wouldn't do what she did. You know, uh, she wouldn't do any of the things she does in the show if she didn't care about other people. And I think, uh, yeah, she really does carry the show on her shoulders and does a fantastic job at it. So I'm I'm really pleased that, hey, I didn't know who Kristen Ritter was really before this acting wise, but she's got it. I mean, I, I would be excited to see her in something else and or... Jessica Jones season two, Defenders, whatever that's going to come out, you know, so. It's also really rare to have an unlikable female protagonist. Female characters are usually, they shoved into some sort of box, and it's really, really, really rare that that box be unlikable but sympathetic. Uh, You have numerous anti-heroes all over TV that are men, but it's pretty rare that you have one that is a woman so I like that they didn't back off that I like that they kept her sharp edges and the fact that she does morally questionable things and she is cruel sometimes that allows her to be a full and rounded character in a way that is sadly not visible on TV very often I think the closest I mean I don't know if you would agree with me Andy but might be Katniss where there are a lot of times where she's not likable at all she's just obnoxious or annoying or you know but people still root yeah, I mean for Katniss has always gotten that criticism as well as being unlikable and uh, not emotional enough um, I was actually the only one that was coming to mind for me especially for television was Nancy Botwin from Weeds um, she becomes like unwatchable unlikable um, 
but but they're very rare. It, I mean, you can we build whole shows around antiheroes, Breaking Bad and uh, Mad Men and Dexter. I mean, we have whole shows around men that are either cruel or make extremely questionably moral ethical decisions. But it's just it's the, there's not very many female equivalents. And uh, I think it's a something that is new and interesting to see, and one something I want to see more of, it, just a more of a diversity in in roles for women on television. Well, this was interesting too because this show introduced us a character who's going to end up with their own show, uh, and that's Mike Coulter as Luke Cage, and this dude just looks like a guy that you don't want to pick a fight with, and I felt like he's exactly, you know, from seeing him in the comic and then just he translated so uh, that guy's awesome i i really really like his character and i'm excited to actually kind of see him uh be in his own show now uh, and i was really yeah it's it's interesting that you know they get the opportunity to kind of soft launch him as a character through Jessica Jones and then you know people will be interested in his story and i'm glad we'll get to follow him because i think he's He's pretty interesting. Yeah, they did a good job of keeping him interesting and also but also not allowing his character to take the focus from Jessica too much to take her away from her journey and her heroic moments. Which I was a little worried about. Luke Cage plays a a huge role in the comics. Um those two characters like going forward like after the show are kind of like intrinsically intertwined and I'm really hoping that I'm really happy that Luke Cage was on the show and I'm really hoping that Jessica Jones plays just as prominent a role uh, on Luke Cage's show as he did on her show. I I would hope so, too, especially with where they kind of end up just personally. You know, they're at a better place themselves uh, because they have this really tortured romance (laughs) that's you know she's responsible for offing his wife and you know it's just it it, it's one of those things in real life that you don't necessarily think would probably ever happen but when we talk about a comic series and you've got mind control it's a little different so but yeah I'm with you I really hope that they do that um and uh, you know the same way I feel like that you know that DC does with their TV right now with Flash and Arrow where they can pop over once in a while and then they'll do the major crossovers too and it's not a big deal you know just like the comics and i love that uh, you know marvel's doing that too they're doing it their films they're about to do it with uh you know civil war having all of the characters basically it's basically avengers 2.5 um you know and and they're doing it here uh on their netflix series and i'd like to see that continue uh, you know we could have gotten a Daredevil cameo in in the the season, and I was a little disappointed that they no, didn't go there. Claire you know, oh, yes, yes, so. yes, 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 yes. I'm sorry, and Andy and I have argued about this already, but um, they live in the same tiny neighborhood in New York City, and 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 a massive part of this show is. Uh, uh, is the relationship between uh, Jessica and Trinity? And I'm sorry, I'm going to forget. Uh, Hor- Hor- Horgrave? Hart? Hor- I'm, I'm, I can't remember. Hogarth. Hogarth. Thank you. Jerry um, Hogarth, yeah. Uh, which is a super toxic relationship and terrible and awful. And, and But at some point, you would think that 
and I was just like imagining in my mind that there would have been a perfect moment for uh, for Matt Murdock and Foggy to come in and and at least try to represent hope in the beginning and be like, oh, we're, we'll, we'll totally represent you free of charge. And then like maybe, you know, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to go with this super high price lore. There's like a thousand like little points at which you could have brought in Daredevil for like 10 minutes and it would have totally made sense. And, and this is what Marvel does really good on the, uh, on the cinematic universe side of things, but seems to kind of drop the ball on the television side of things. And I would have loved to have seen that at any point. It's actually funny because in the comics that does happen. Like Matt Murdock is Jessica Jones's lawyer. And there's even things because Bendis was writing both comics at the same time. And tonally, they're both very similar. And uh, there was even stuff that they did where there was one time where uh, there was a scene and I think it was Daredevil and he like walks by and interacts with Jessica Jones and then does his thing. And then in the next issue of Alias, you see that scene, but from Jessica's perspective as, you know, Matt Murdock walks by and then you stay with Jessica, you know, that kind of thing. They're really tied pretty tightly um, in the comic book. So I was kind of surprised that they didn't do that here. I was fine with it. Matt Murdock got his own show. Yeah, but what was what what doesn't make sense and and what would have been nice is that, you know, this it could have been a small thing and not again, you know, Luke Cage doesn't take away from Jessica in the show. Matt doesn't have to take away from her in the show. Uh you can write it well and it can really work. So I felt like they did miss that opportunity to kind of work this together because they are and this is the reason, they are working towards this thing called the Defenders and all of these people working together. So I did feel like it would have been nice if it hadn't just been Claire, uh, that it had been also Matt showing up a little bit somehow. And and he could have played like a small role, maybe helping her out. I mean, he has some pretty cool superpowers as well. And honestly, there are some storylines in this, this show, I will say, that just don't pay off very well. And I'd much rather have seen him involved in the story and take that place than some of the other storylines that they did do. so And it would have been much more interesting and I think played better into the long run of where Marvel is trying to take this, you know, Netflix series. And they, and the thing is they even tease it. Like when Claire is talking uh, um, and she's like, oh, by the way, I know this guy. This guy can help out. And yeah. Jessica's like, no, no, I don't want anybody else to be involved. And it's like, so Marvel know, like Marvel knows that we want this. And then they just kind of tease it and let it go. And I'm like, Oh, it would have been so good just to see him for a second. Just, just a minute. There's no reason not to. I mean, they they did it with, with Luke Cage and it worked really well. You just treat him as, as if he is, you know, a secondary character. I mean, don't have him running around in the costume or anything like see him as a lawyer. And, you know, that's a, that, that would have worked extremely well. I just take any opportunity for more Claire. I need more Claire in my life. Who's I need Claire, Claire to be all over the place. The night nurse. But that felt, I, I'm sorry, like I heard that she was going to be on the show and I was looking forward to that. And then when she pops up in the last, you know, episode and does that, I'm like, wow, this just feels way out of place and forced and like, like they were winking at the camera the whole time. I, that That didn't work for me. I thought that they kind of, they handled that very 
awkwardly, you know? I love yeah, it. Yeah, I can I can see that criticism. And we'll talk about that later on, but I I feel like that's some of the problems of the the last half of the show. So I think there's a lot of problems with the last half of the show as compared to the first half. So Rachel Taylor playing Trish Walker, you know, I've seen her in other things. She was in Transformer. She's been in tons of things in background roles and in smaller roles. And here she really gets the shine. And I got to say, she, her playing against Kristen Ritter, I really, really like. They just picked two female characters who have very good chemistry. And I, I really liked one, her role. I thought it was great. And then two, I, I just like her as an actress and giving her something a lot meatier to do, you know, than being in a Transformers movie. Uh, it was fantastic. So, and I'm not knocking Transformers. I love Transformers, the first one. Um, but this was great. So I, I'm wondering what you guys thought of her as a, as a character and, and then uh, Rachel Taylor as the actress here. I think this is really interesting. I mean, I I'm, I hate to sound like the guy who's like, well, in the comic they did this because ultimately it doesn't matter. But for perspective, I'm just saying, in the comic, this character was essentially Captain Marvel. Um, yes, it, yes, that's right. They, they, you know, obviously couldn't use that since they got the new movie coming out or whatever. But it, because of that, the relationship was much different. Like they, she was not her adoptive sister or anything like that. It was just kind of like, well, I used to hang out with these superheroes and she's the one who I kind of liked. And now, you know, whatever, we're friends, but we're not close friends, but whatever. You know, that kind of relationship. Whereas here, they're like very much you know have have a have a, a deep history which i think works better but what i found to be really interesting about this character from like a historical perspective is like i started reading up on her because i i was not familiar with her but i guess she's actually a part of the marvel universe and she had started off as like a a sort of like young reader basically the character that she plays on her show when she was a kid like that was her original comic and, you know, the back before, like, it was even Marvel. And then Marvel bought that character and turned her into a superhero. And it's like, basically, that's what happens to this character, but in continuity instead of in, you know, the real world. I thought that was kind of cool. That's I, I love when these comic book shows take obscure things like that and, and just twist them for their own advantage. And, and Flash and Arrow and Supergirl now are doing that all the time for them, and they do it really well. And it, you know, it, it makes those super nerds who really know the comics kind of happy to see them most of the time take something that would never be used and use it. Um, so, yeah, I, I am kind of a little sad that... They couldn't have just cast their Captain Marvel and used her here. I, I mean, yeah. why not introduce her subtly in, you know, the this series and then have her have her own movie? I, I personally think that could have been a brilliant move on their part, especially since, you know, uh, Captain Marvel is, is a... I mean, I don't know that much about her. I know comic book people do, but I think it would have been a great to have her here. I think the problem with it would have been that they would have had to change Jessica's character on the show too much in order to make it work. Like that relationship is based on the time when 
Jessica was Jewel, when Jessica was a superhero. And the the show doesn't have that time, you know? So it, No, they mock that time as being yeah. glad that never happened, which is kind of funny because Marvel is also the company that had so embraced, you know, the comic bookiness of things. Uh, you know, the less the less gritty, the less realistic and the in the more comic booky, but then it's funny to watch them kind of move in some ways to kind of a more Nolan esque version of things on their Netflix shows. I mean, this is like the more realistic, dark, gritty But that's kind of and I'm sorry for, to keep on going back to the comic. I, I really No, am, no, but I this think it's great so for cool. people who don't know. But, I love it, Mike. Keep coming. That Okay, that's kind of what they do when they deal with this in the comic and stylistically even when they when you get to the origin of Jessica Jones when you go back and see her accident they actually like retcon it into like like amazing Spider-Man continuity where like she goes to the same school and has a crush on Peter Parker and when they're telling that story it's done in like a Steve Ditko like 60s art style nice and then when they flash back to what happened when she was Jewel instead of bringing in Michael Gatos who's got like this you know really great gritty style they hired um I think his name is Mark Bagley the guy who did Ultimate Spider-Man who's got like the most like typical cartoonish like superhero style art you could imagine and they get him to do the art for her superhero years you know and it's like all in the same comic like all these art styles in the same comic and it's so cool and also i'm sorry as long as we're talking about the art just one thing which i thought was the coolest thing the covers were by david mack not not that one the other david mack and um the the, the they're like all painted and they look just like the opening credit sequence on this nice. show. You know, it's like, I love it's like that. that's the cover yeah. to the comic, you know, it's so cool. Anyway, okay. don't apologize because you just gave okay. me a wealth of knowledge and I love minutia. So that's okay. why I watched right. nine hours of extras on Hobbit Blu-ray. I have a question so. for you, Mike. Excellent. Um, Excellent. When we were talking about uh, this show beforehand, when it was still in development, uh, you were nervous about having Melissa Rosenberg in charge uh, because most people yes. know Melissa Rosenberg from Twilight, which is, as we all know, horrible and a blight on the world. An abomination. But I told you to give her a chance. My question is, do you think that she did a good job? Yeah, I think she did an awesome job. I mean, in, in addition to, you know, the show being excellent, uh, I mean... The dialogue is just razor sharp. You know, I was really impressed with that. And it actually kind of makes me mad because now I feel like I have to go back and watch the not. last two Twilight movies. No, you don't. You do no, not. You don't. But well, I, you know, I, I think I, I kind of have to. I know. I know you have this thing. You're this completest thing. There's respect. No. And then stupidity. You don't have to. I think that's, you, you've crossed over the line, you know. I can't. I can't do that. He has I can't to watch it all. Not, now. I mean, just she's, let, him, let it happen. She's proven herself, and now I need to, you know. But watch you need it to watch her disprove her herself with no, Twilight. No, she didn't do a bad two, job with Twilight. Like, three, Twilight four? is bad. You know, like she had the worst source material in the world, which is what I said to Mike when this came up, because I had the honor of being yeah. able to see a panel with her at Comic Con a couple years ago, and she was just so impressive and so smart, and I was like. Yes, Twilight, but Mike, maybe 
Maybe she'll do a good job because I think she will because she seemed really, really awesome. And I mean, how do you make a good movie out of Twilight? You, you don't really is the short answer of that. Can can I can can I bring it back to uh, to to Trish if if that's okay? If, I just wanna I just wanna say something. Uh, um, it's one of the most oh boy, uh, coming from a, a you know a, just a dude you know, but it, to me it seems like a totally completely a a realistic and and an unrealistic situation kind of relationship between sisters. And I really like kind of appreciated that in the same way that I appreciate the relationship that I've only seen the first couple of episodes of Supergirl, but the same way that it kind of develops this relationship uh, where you kind of get um, this sisterly relationship between two main characters. And it's not something you get very often. And it's certainly not anything I can't imagine that we've seen in the Marvel universe up to this point, but um, you'd need more than Trish, one woman to do that. Yeah. Or more. Exactly. Uh, but Trish brings out the best um certainly in in uh, jessica and i really really appreciated her for that and i appreciated her for also having the strength of her own character and having her own kind of mini arc in the show and uh she was definitely without a doubt and, and she she's kind of jessica's moral center in a lot of ways and she to me was one of the highlights of the shows and and honestly was was probably my favorite character or at least definitely one of my favorite characters on the whole show. I'm glad you mentioned that, Daniel, because I think, too, that their relationship does kind of mirror that uh, thing that we see on Supergirl with uh, Lex and her her sister, Kara. And it, it's obviously a different type of show, but it's this, it's it's very much the same kind of relationship. And I, I like that, and I like that we're seeing more of that in television. I, I think, honestly, that, and I'm going to call it the Frozen effect, um, and I think it's a great effect that studios realized it is okay to do things about female characters like this. Uh, and, you know, Frozen's a good movie. I really enjoyed Frozen. But one of the coolest parts about it was the fact that it was a movie about a sisterly relationship, sisterly love, not about one of the princesses falling in love with a prince. That happens. One of them falls in love but that's not the main relationship in the show. So I think that's really fantastic. Eka Darville plays uh, Malcolm, and I really like this character. And I think he is such an understated actor for so much of the show that when he really starts to come into his own by the end, I was I was kind of blown away. So I really enjoyed his portrayal, and I... I'd really like to see him in more stuff. I, I need to go see what else he's been in because I, I think he was just, again, by the end, he was, he. I, you're talking about Trish being your favorite character, Daniel, maybe. I think he might be my favorite character uh, because of the arc that he goes through. It it's He's so good. Yeah, he is cool. I, I had no idea what they were doing with that character at first. I was like, what is this? Why are we seeing this? And then when you get the the sort of twist and the turn it's like oh that's kind of cool and and I, I do like his his arc and I think he helps to sort of ground the show a little bit it's almost like he's minding the store while Jessica is off on her adventures and I, I think that that's that's pretty pretty cool yeah in the same yeah I agree I'm totally with you Mike like I I was like okay this guy is just <laughs> he's a stumbling mumbling kind of nothing for the first six episodes or whatever it might happen to be 
And I'm like, okay, they're going to go somewhere with him. He's going to be important in some way. And then, of course, he becomes tremendously important. Uh, and it's really interesting to see how his kind of upturn is also with how Jessica's arc kind of is going as well. It's It's just an interesting kind of interaction that they have and how they end up at the end is interesting to me as well. This was, I mean, this is probably the biggest name that I knew from the show, Carrie Ann Moss playing Jerry Hogarth. And uh, she, in the role that she has, she is so good. Uh, now, I would have to say that I feel like her storyline is, the, the storyline they give her is kind of completely unnecessary for the show and feels like a lot of filler for a lot of it. Um, and, and that became one of my issues for the 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 season as a whole for for Jessica Jones there were too many episodes by the end I was like if you had condensed that down and taken some things out and reordered you don't need this whole episode you could have combined like three or four episodes and yeah I was really disappointed uh in, in that part but she is fantastic and and I think she steals a lot of the scenes that she's in. Uh, she's just a great actress, you know. Um, obviously liked her since The Matrix. So uh, I, I, if it was going to be a story, I was going to have to watch, even if I didn't feel like it was utterly important to the storyline that's actually being told throughout, you know, to the, the, the saga of Jessica Jones here. Uh, at least it was Carrie Ann Moss, uh, and she was just fantastic in 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 the role. I so. disagree. I think that her storyline was incredibly thematically important. She was one of our many abusers, and her relationships, both with her ex and her current relationship, are is like a small microcosm of the abuser dynamics we see throughout the show. So you can kind of see the decline in her relationships as she tries to maintain control and she tries to manipulate and lie her way through bad behavior as like just like a smaller version of what Kilgrave is doing. And what Kilgrave is doing is actually really, really, really common. That's my favorite thing about him as a villain is he is not special. Like what he is doing is not special. What he is doing is common as dirt. He is an abuser and a stalker and a rapist. And all of those things are all over our planet. The only thing that makes him extraordinary is how he does it. But his tactics are right right out of Abuser 101 handbook, and so are hers when it comes to how she manipulates her the women in her relationships. So I actually thought it was a really cool mirror how we could see how an ordinary person could be doing the same sorts of terrible things that Kilgrave is doing. So I actually really liked the parallel. She feels a lot to me like, um, well... I think because of the the way the character's played and also physically, uh, if, if I were to be honest, she feels like m- mirror universe Claire Underwood in a lot of ways to me. Um, yes. Where she uh, is essentially manipulating everybody around her. And to be fair, so is Jessica in a lot of ways. But certainly, like Andy was just mentioning, certainly not to the extent that, I mean, uh, the tox- the toxicity that this character has to everybody that touches her like the the things that she's responsible for in the story, uh, the things that she kind of does and the acts that she performs. Um, and then, of course, what we see happens to her at the end is unsurprising. She uh, 
again, I'll agree with you, Matthew. Her her performance is really, really good. This character is super slimy and super, super terrible. Yeah, um, I, I thought that the the storyline itself, I, I could see how you know it might be considered meandering or whatever. I think that it, it did work on its own terms, but I, I do see how it had trouble integrating itself into the overall story. I, I I kind of felt the whole time like it was going somewhere, and I'm like, where is it going? Where is it going? And then it kind of doesn't go anywhere. They like drop the ball at the end. It, it was. And and this was kind of simultaneously going on right around the time that I was thinking, like, where's Luke? Where, where did he go? You know, he just kind of disappears for like a good chunk of the of the season. And I don't know, those two things made me um, think that it, it was kind of problematic when looking at the series on the whole. You know, there was nothing wrong with what was actually done but it didn't feel like it should be there when you looked at the overall piece exactly like you uh, you said it so much better than i did mike it it just didn't feel as cohesive as it needed to in a 13 episode season that that it would really tie together so well and and that was my frustration um is that you know, once her almost ex is dead, like so much of that storyline just gets completely dropped. Yeah, and and it's not continued. Like it, it there's no, there's there's not enough there, and so it was just it needed better integration with everything that was going on, and, and that to me was my that's one of my big issues of Jessica Jones. I. It's not as cohesive as it needs to be, uh, whereas Daredevil I felt was was really cohesive, um, and it, it's a real slow burn. But by the end, it's just firing on all cylinders. This one, especially by the end, it, it kind of like falls apart for me, uh, and I was frustrated by that because I loved the beginning. So, but again, Carrie Ann Moss, what she's doing, everything she's given to do, she does it so well that it helps to push me past some of those issues. And that's that's why you give a great actor a role, <laughs> so that they can help cover up the sins maybe sometimes of the scripts or the series in general. So, <laughs> And she does that. Uh, and I think the, ne- the last person that we're going to talk about, David Tennant. David Tennant is my favorite doctor. And I love Doctor Who. Andy knows this. We talked about Doctor Who very early in the the run of Six O Two Club. And and Andy isn't isn't he your favorite David doctor Tennant as well? David Tennant is my favorite actor. And okay, I so see, classify there, David yeah. Tennant as the sexiest man alive. Like he should be on the People magazine. Kick David Beckham right off. They got the wrong David. So um, yes, he is my favorite doctor. Hasselhoff. Is yeah. that who you were talking about? David? Definitely Hasselhoff. Hasselhoff. The Hoff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh gosh. Uh, I'll let you two fight later <laughs> sorry, outside sorry. in Hell's Kitchen. <laughs> Hell's Kitchen's pretty used to that. Um, but no, I, I'm Andy. I'm with you. I love David Tennant as an actor too. I mean, he's he was amazing in Broadchurch both seasons. Even though the second season isn't quite as strong as the first season, and he is. 
maniacally brilliant in this role. And as creepy as Sin, I mean, your skin kind of crawls with the things that he does and the things that he makes people do. And the amorality with which this character exists is just, like, he has no compulsion. He did he is the perfect example of somebody who lives in a world where his truth is what's true. And for him to, like, kill people is fine. For him to make people walk off of buildings is fine. Like, that's that's who he is. Like, he is the embodiment of, to me, total depravity. Like, what happens when no, somebody has absolutely no morals, they haven't been raised with any compulsion to do anything good and they're left to their own devices they're not taught what good and evil is that is this character and he is brilliant and and to me that makes the question i want to ask you guys is he the best villain that you've seen in the mcu i i would say probably i know like i was talking about it with with uh, my my friend brandon and uh he's like really big on the vi- like any time that a marvel movie comes out you know and he's a huge marvel fan Anytime that a Marvel movie comes out, he's always like, oh, you know, it was okay, but the villain was terrible. Like, he said that with Guardians of the Galaxy. I'm like, you're freaking insane. Yeah, the villain is terrible in that, but I agree with him. Yes, but my point is, like, who cares? I don't need, was there a villain in that movie? How do you forget Lee Pace being covered in makeup? Come on. Don't you don't you remember the what dance I'm off? That was a very is, important part of that movie. I, so. I remember Lee Pace. He just got nothing to do. It's, it's my so. my point is that that movie you could make it just these guys going around doing anything, and it, the villain is inconsequential to that movie being amazing. And you know, here is a case of you know the, the villain being really good, and he he pointed that out. He's like, oh yeah, Jessica Jones, the villain's really good. And I'm like, you with the villains, you with the villains all the time. But he's right, you know, he is a really cool villain. And to get back to the comic book again, I apologize, but in the comic, it's really interesting because he is very villainous, but he's not like a supreme villain. He's a supreme villain for Jessica. But for everyone else, he's like a joke, you know, like he talks about she talks about him with, you know, Luke Cage at one point. And Luke Cage is like, you mean the guy with like the purple tights like that guy? What? You know, because the Avengers come in and they just, you know, like tap him on the head and he's down and out forever. But for Jessica, she is she is like his arch or he is her arch rival. You know, he's her her Lex Luthor or her Joker, you know what I mean? And I think that it's really cool how they, they built him up in this in a lot of ways. Although I don't exactly like the resolution with this character. I I don't either. I'm with you there. Like he's amazing. And then the resolution is like crap. So I'm totally with that. Yeah. I, I also feel like they didn't quite nail his powers that well, you know, they're very clearly defined in, in the book and in the movie or the show. It's just like, well, he's as he's at a certain distance and it's like this time of the day. But if you take into account daylight savings time and it's like, no, just, <laughs> there's you a know, mathematical it's, formula. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's how it is in the, in the show. In the comic, it's very straightforward, very simple and much scarier, honestly. I, and, you know, I have to say, I'm just I'm, I mean, I don't know anything about the comic, but I, I feel like his powers were, were kind of pretty clearly delineated throughout the show. I, I didn't have any 
issues uh, understanding exactly like it was 12 hours i think initially it was 12 hours from when he, he gave you a command to when you had to accomplish it and that was it i i i, I don't know I, I guess maybe i'm missing something that you saw i i i think in the comic it's it's more just like proximity based you know and it's also i mean i think the thing in the comic there's a line in there which really kind of hit hit I won't say hit home, but, you know, hit it on the, on the, on the head for me, which is, you know, they say like, the scary part is he doesn't, it's not him telling you what to do. It's him making you want to do it. You know, it's him saying like, yes. And then, you know, because of that, you'd never know whether or not you are actually, this is something that you want or this is something that he that you want because he told you you want is this you know sorry i'm and, sorry i don't mean to interrupt you i'm just i'm curious no, like is this yeah. uh, you're saying all of these things and i'm hearing them and i'm like these are all i think themes that are explored completely in the show to me like do, do you not feel like they like sure. jessica has or not jessica but but uh kilgrave has this entire conversation with jessica about did you want this? Maybe you did want this. No, Maybe yeah. this was a thing that's that true. you were interested but, in. But I, I guess what I'm saying is that, you know, when you start saying, like, the effect wears off after blah, 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 and all this stuff, and you're, like, putting all of these limits and saying, like, well, you did it, so now you don't have to worry about doing that anymore or whatever, you know, that kind of thing, you take away that sort of, like, basic, you know, I don't know, philosophical or psychological point that they're trying to make with the power you know right well and in the show it was that and plenty of people described this saying there was a a part of them that knew they didn't want to do it but they had to do it anyway and so i think it's scarier what you're saying mike and i wish they would have had this in the show of of people not being able to tell that they didn't know that they were doing something they didn't want to do that is probably the freakiest thing ever which is, I mean, it, it's a big, it's a huge meta question, meta treks here on Trek FM. Be sure to check it out. Uh, but uh, about free will and that being usurped and not even knowing at that point whether it's being usurped. That's a, that's super, that, that is an ultimate supervillain type of thing. Like you don't even know you're doing what you didn't know you didn't want to do. It's, you know, like that's, that's scary. And I mean, you're right, Daniel, it is there. But at the same time, you also get things and maybe it's a case of them not communicating it well to the directors or something, because then there's also times where like he's with his dad and he's like, put your hand in a blender. And the dad's like, well, I what? But I don't want to, you know, and, and like there's the whole thing where like they tie his hands, you know, together. And it's like he's aware that he's being mind controlled and you just got to wait till this wears off so that he doesn't try to cut his own heart out. And it's like, no, it's not, it's not like it's this, I don't know. It just, it was not handled nearly as, as cleanly as, as I thought it should have been. You know I, what I mean? I do want to say one, one quick thing while we're, t I mean, many things, of course, but, but one quick thing while we're talking about David Tennant, um, he, he, I, I agree with you guys. I mean, he's an amazing actor, but he is actually the second best doctor Sorry, uh, I'm in uh, hashtag uh, Camp Matt Smith over here. Um, I know that's a minority. Of I mean, it's fine. You could be wrong. <laughs> I like Matt Smith. He, he certainly has I mean, the, no the better Tenet. sonic screwdriver, but we won't even get As into I that. say no, to no, Daniel I'm, I'm often, you're welcome to your wrong opinion. <laughs> to my wrong opinion, of course. Uh, no, but I mean, and yeah, I guess if we nitpick these things, 
there's always going to be something right to to kind of to argue about but to me he did come across the idea hit hit the terror that he brings to Jessica um specifically to Jessica like you mentioned um like he's not this I'm going to take over the world kind of character at all he has no really powerful threat uh, over the, over the world at large he is however the entire looming arc over he's he, he just he is just the entire world over Jessica and she needs to break free in some way. Um, I think that was brilliant. I think that they played that so perfectly that um, in a lot of ways, if we're going to talk about him versus other, other Marvel villains, he, he was way more menacing than, than these other characters. The fact that he could, that he had so much power over Jessica that he was, that she like, he wasn't even around and she had to like, you know, do her exercises to kind of control herself. Like he was so much more menacing than all of these other supervillains were just this one character. I think that goes to the power of David Tennant and also to the power of the script and, and the character as well. The thing I liked about David Tennant's performance is that he was horrifying and charming at the same time, which is super, super, super creepy. There's like the whole scene where, well, the whole collection of scenes where him and Jessica are just like hanging out, having breakfast. And there's like a part of you that's like, could he be good? Maybe he can. And it's so powerful because that's what abusers trick you into thinking all the time. They treat you well to pull you back in. And that whole narrative of he's evil, but you as a good woman can can turn him into a good man. I mean, that's just all over our media Twilight. And it's just like so great to see that portrayed and then completely turned around. Um, and that's what I like about David Tennant's performance is basically like he'll be doing these these things, but he'll also be kind of funny about it sometimes. And he'll he'll switch on a dime to be completely cold and terrifying and then you know laugh I, I love that I love the the kind of roller coaster of emotions he puts both her and the audience on and yes I love him as a villain he is a great villain and David Tennant forever I think the closest villain to him and the second best in the MCU is is Loki and the for the same reason, he pulls that with everybody he's with of making people think that he's good, he's changed, he's reformed. You know, he's another user and abuser of people just to get his way. Uh, and I, it's interesting that both of those characters have a lot of similarities and they're played by very charming men uh, who are, are very likable at some points and terrifying at others. So, I, you know, I really do. Unfortunately, his end is not as good as the beginning here with, with the way they end for the character and the, the just the end of the show in general. But what else, what he's able to do for the majority of the this series in, in season one, I think is just hands down brilliant. So, Just, just to speak to the end, and I promise this will be the last time I bring up the, <laughs> the damn comic book. Don't make promises <laughs> you can't keep, Mike. Um, the the way that it's handled here and the way that the, the problem that I had as the show progressed is it kind of like escalated into what these things are, you know, action, 
you know, good versus evil and we're going to punch a bunch of things and stuff. And like the the whole point that I, I saw of this show, you know, and the comic as well, is that it was like a deconstruction of those things is looking at like what what this means in like real world scenarios and, and sort of, you know, that kind of thing, you know, pulling back the, the curtain of fantasy and, and looking at the reality behind it. And to just sort of like dumb down the, the thing as it goes along and, and turn it into like a fist fight, I think is kind of disingenuous to the overall piece. And like the way that that was handled in the comic was very much kind of like the end of Kill Bill, where it's like, you know, she goes on a roaring rampage of revenge and then she gets to Bill and you're like, oh man, this is going to be it. And then they sit down and talk for like half an hour, you know, and it's very quiet and internal and about, you know, sort of like, and, and especially for a story like this, where it's about a guy who's like infiltrated someone's mind and that's like what the real threat is, you know, like he's he's there even when he's not there. Her whole life is what it is because of what he did, you know, earlier on. And to have that resolved the way that it's resolved, I think is just like, I was like, that's it? That's really, that's what they did? Come on. You know, this show is better than that. Why, why did you do that? I'm curious, like what, I mean, I don't disagree with you, I guess I would say, but like in what way... I mean, it's it become. I mean, it becomes very clear throughout the, the the context of the show that this is going to. This has to be. You have to stop this man. You have to physically stop this man. There's no other way to get around that. Uh, I mean, like, how, in, other, in what way? Except that we did see that there is a way around that. I mean, like, we he they had him. They had him contained in a box that you know meant they didn't right have but to then of course he got out of course he did he manipulated his way out of that situation there's that's the point uh, at least that's the point i saw of the whole show was you cannot contain this man and there's no situation in which you could I, box him up i think i think it's easy enough to contain him if you throw in that box and then walk Whoa, away and don't don't look <laughs> at him again you know i mean th- to me like and this happened numerous times throughout the show i'm like Wait a minute. They cut like when when they you know inject him with the you know whatever it is the you know sufetanol. Yeah, and I'm like, oh, so they wait. We've still got like seven episodes. What's going on here? There were so many times throughout this thing where I'm like, well, I know that he's gonna get away because, but I mean, I don't know that 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 bothered me. I, I completely agree. We'll go ahead and we'll talk about this, and we got some important things to talk about afterwards. But that for me, Mike, was the huge thing. They completely blow it when they capture him. And it's like they've built all of this up. And then the last few episodes just kind of feel like filler till you get to 13 and they're going to end it, you know? And then the ending is so almost anticlimactic and silly because, number one, he's got apparently these advanced powers now where he can control more and more people at more and more distance. And all he's got is like seven cops to try and shoot her up and, and like then some people on a dock. Like that's it. That's his plan. This guy has been planning things for years to try and get back into Jessica's life. And that's all he can come up with. Like it just, the writing completely goes away. It's like he got dumber or something. I, 
and I, my wife and I both looked at each other and we're like, eh. That's literally what we said at the end. Like, eh. It it just it starts off really strong, and then I think it forgets what kind of made it good. It doesn't finish strongly. Whereas Daredevil, it started off slower, and then it slowly and slowly... I mean, it just continues to build until you get to the crescendo, which they don't crescendo until the very end of the show. They crescendo in the middle of this show, and then it never crescendos again. That's my problem, is the writing is way off. There's a huge spike at the in the middle of the season... And then it just doesn't seem to know what to do with itself. And it just kind of wastes its time with smaller stories that they don't have. I mean, it, that's where the writing bothered me. So, Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, you know, I started off, you know, thinking like this is the best thing ever. You know, this is so cool. And as it progressed, I was like, you're you're becoming what it is you're you're examining. And I don't see the point now. And I mean, that's not to say, I mean, I don't want to make it sound like I didn't like the show or whatever. I'm just saying, like, if you look at it in terms of scale, you know, it it, it got a lot worse than it started off as. You know what I mean? It's still an, it's, it's still an awesome show. I mean, it's amazing. But it, it, it did I mean, have I, some problems. I, I'm sorry. I just, I'm, I guess I'm just confused. Like, you would have been satisfied with the resolution that he was now under the drug and captured like to me that would have been a totally unsatisfactory ending and and kind of an antithesis of what the whole point of the show was i mean um like magneto is not gonna stay in his plastic prison at the end of x-men one uh this guy is not going to be contained by some prison i mean somebody at some point's gonna have to you know Give him a, a turkey dinner, and it's gonna it's gonna be the end of that. Like I, I, to me, that was not even. Every time Jessica tried, Jessica and her crew, I mean, tried to capture him. Of course, it's gonna fail. That's the whole point. That's but the it, entire point of the show. It's not that they try to capture him or anything like that. What it is is that they capture him and they have him, and they've set it up so you know he can't stay captured. So it's just going to lead to another, you know what I'm saying? Like that's the, that is kind of the problem with releasing shows like this, where it's all one big season. It's got, you know, it's got 13 episodes. So if you're in in episode six and the villain is captured, he's not going to say captured, you know, like he's going to get away. And it's like, so my point is, is that it's the writing that's at fault here for not allowing the season to continue to build to a crescendo so that the crescendo is the end, not the middle of the season. So that by the time you get to the end of the season, it's just the inevitability instead of that there's still been building on this tension. Like there's no tension anymore by the time I get to the end, honestly. That's how I felt. Like, because I know that she's going to get him, you know, like, and, it, and and the situation doesn't seem as dire as it did before either. So, for some reason that it's like it. It just it again it the writing in the show it lost me because at it had played its best hand in the middle instead of at the end and whereas Daredevil for me it was it's a very slow burn in the beginning but 
it just kind of slowly builds and slowly builds and slowly builds. You know, I mean, that show just continues to build itself until it explodes at the end. So, and and that's what I think you need to do in in these short seasons. Um, and, and you know, that that's usually what the BBC type shows do as well. They're very good at that. Um, I'm just surprised that they couldn't repeat that with Jessica Jones. I can see what you're saying with like the pacing, but I actually really like the final moments. I like how intimate it is. I like how it's just Jessica and Kelgrave looking at each other one-on-one and her facing him and finally taking her control back. And the, the way she kills him is so intimate. I personally, I, I, I see what you mean about a crescendo and how the, the season itself, the arc rises and falls. And I can see how it might've lost you. I personally liked that. It went back into that very micro level. And if it had done that without having crescendoed, I would have felt exactly like you do Andy. And that's what I wish I had felt at the end. I I think the problem goes like deeper in that it's not about, it shouldn't be about stopping Kilgrave on a, you know, on on an actual literal level. It should be about Jessica coming to terms with the fact that she doesn't need this guy to control her life anymore or she doesn't need to this she she can take back the power you know i mean she she has the power to overcome this dude you know and they do that but in a very strange way and it's like very i mean there's the, the whole thing where she finds out or she realizes that she's not being controlled by him anymore right and then once she she realizes that, then there's like a whole big thing, and then oh, but maybe now he will, and oh, blah 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 blah. It's like that should have come much later, and that should have basically been the end of the thing. I mean, I don't, I, I have a problem with that too, in that there's no real explanation. I mean, it's just kind of like this, you know, mystical whatever. I, I don't, I don't really get that. You know, what what makes her different from everyone else? But. I can see thematically why they would do that. And I just think that that's like the end. I mean, once she realizes that he's not in control, then that's the end of your story. But we, it continued for like another four episodes, you know, and then eventually, and then it became, you know, like literally killing him. And that's the, I mean, that's not it. You know, it's her not being controlled by him anymore. That's the end of the story. And how strong would it have been if those two things happen at the same moment? Like at the end, she's realizing she's not controlled by him, which gives her the power to take her life back and make sure that other lives are are safe. Like those mm-hmm. two things happening simultaneously are really powerful and, and much bigger thematically to happen in close proximity, say in the last episode, than happening so far apart, you know, five episodes apart. One's kind of in the middle of the show and the other's at the very end. So I I completely see what you're saying because it is, you know, like you were trying to talk about, Andy, it is the uh, pacing of the season. And and unfortunately for me, the pacing is just really off in the season here. And I, I, I like, I don't want anybody to hear me. This is a good show. I like it. It's just off. It's off kilter a little bit so that 
it doesn't pay off the way I want it to in the end, especially with what I came to expect with, say, the first five episodes. Just, I mean, really brilliant stuff. Here, let's do let's do a, a to the journey style rewrite here. Okay, um, let's just say, for the sake of argument, she's in her house, you know, because Kilgrave wants her to be there and everything, and that's the moment, you know, in there in that setting, that's the moment that she realizes that he no longer controls her. And then she, you know, takes care of him right there. That, I mean, that to me would be much better than dragging it out. Well, I mean, but it doesn't matter. No, I think what if that had <laughs> happened later on in the season? Because that's a thing sure. that never really completely pays off is her being in that house. That's one of the storylines to me that just like blah, like. It was a filler episode. You almost found, I don't remember finding out much in that episode that was really important to the rest of the story. If you had put that, like that she decides to go and sacrifice herself, basically doing the sacrificial lamb thing to to try and, and keep him away from everybody. And then she realizes that he doesn't control her anymore and she's able to play on him the way that she does at the end of the, uh, yeah, again, Mike, that's, that's brilliant. That makes so much more sense. And then it is exactly what Andy's talking about. It's intimate. It's it's just them, you know, involved. Yeah. And and that's a really strong end. So I love your to the journey rewrite there. To the journey. So it brings me to an important question of the PTSD with which she suffers from because of who Kilgrave has been to her, which is a rapist and an abuser. And the comic plays on this very heavily, I, I know. And I am thankful that I did not have to watch that happen. Um, I, I don't necessarily want to see somebody go through that. But I, I think that this show does an excellent job of alluding to the terribleness that Kilgrave has, has visited on Jessica and making you feel that through Kristen Ritter's performance without having to show it to me. Uh, and usually, when we're talking on the show, we're saying, show, don't tell. Here I'm saying, tell and allow the actor to show me through their portrayal. <laughs> uh, so I wanted to ask you guys uh, how you felt about that, because this is a big part of this story. Yeah, I mean, I, I love that they do this. Um Rape is generally handled very poorly in fiction. Um, I was on a panel at DragonCon in which we had to spend 45 minutes uh, talking about Game of Thrones and rape on Game of Thrones and me trying to explain to people that it's not that I don't think that rape should be portrayed in fiction. It's that you have to be extremely careful in how you portray it. And one of the most common things is creators often feel like we need to see the see the actual physical violence and we actually have to see it happen when you don't. Another story that just did this extremely well was Mad Max. We had a whole story about a bunch of women that were brutalized and we never had to see them be brutalized in order to sell it to us that they were traumatized. We got to focus on them reclaiming their power rather than having to watch them be brutalized. And this show does that exactly the same way and in a really rare and wonderful way because it's important that we have these kinds of conversations and it's important that 
the reactions to this kind of trauma are explored, but it's it's such a fine line because you have to be sensitive sensitive to the fact that people go through this all the time and we don't want to at some point it becomes you're just watching it to watch it like there's a whole aspect of violence against women especially but violence in general that just becomes enjoyment of watching it and that's i don't need to see that thanks but no No. thanks um so I really love that the focus in this story is on the victims and how they are handling it. We have an actual support group. We have Jessica uh, referencing therapy she tried. You know, we have people actually trying to process their trauma, sometimes poorly, sometimes very, very poorly. Um, but I think that is a story that's much more interesting and much more needed to be told. And so that's probably my favorite thing about this show i completely agree with you andy and i think it's because unfortunately rape portrayed in any form in entertainment because that's what this is becomes porn yeah i mean there's a term for it's torture porn yeah and that's that's not okay especially with the story we're trying to tell here that is not okay and that is why I do not watch things like Game of Thrones. I don't need to see that. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm really passionate about that. I don't need to see that kind of stuff. You don't have to show that stuff to me for me to understand what characters are going through. And I think that Kristen Ritter's performance here, the way that David Tennant p- plays this villain, is able to make that happen. Not only that, but the way that we're able to see the effect that he has on other people that he controls and how terrible it is allows you to get a glimpse at just how bad Jessica's life was under him. I also love that she actually gets to call it rape. Yeah. Because so often we have rape portrayed. There are Star Trek examples in which there it would, it's never acknowledged that someone was raped. It's alluded to, but she actually sa- gets to say to him, you raped me. And of course to him, he immediately turns that back on her. Because that's what they do. They justify. I mean, this is classic victim blaming. You know, you looked too pretty. I had to have sex with you. You know, why did you make me so angry? It made me hit you. Where they can't take responsibility for their own actions. Um, And seeing that played out in one very tense scene was just, it was so hard to watch, but in the best possible way. Because rapists justify their actions every day. And sadly, as a society, so do we. Because a huge theme of this show, too, is her telling people what he's done and nobody believing her, which is also something that victims face all the time. And granted, in this case, there's an extra shade of she's saying, he's controlling minds, and there's an aspect of, of course he's not controlling minds, that's not possible. But like the, the dynamics of that are the same, where we have multitudes of victims trying to talk about what has happened to them and being silenced. I want to ask you guys, because I'm, I alluded to earlier, Kilgrave is a child that was given these powers because his parents were trying to save him from a deformity he had, and they were trying to use science to do that. And so they loved their, their son. And it had the unintended side effects of giving him this power to be able to control somebody. So they 
lost the ability to basically tell their son and teach their son about morality and the difference between right and wrong. And honestly, as I watched this show, it was the perfect example to me of total depravity. Of and and Mike, you understand this. You, you have a family who who is is um you know has a lot of history in the Catholic Church, and we've talked about that on other shows about uh, your parents and and their their history there. And I thought that this was a great portrayal in fiction of what happens when you know children don't come out of the womb good or innocent. They come out and they come out selfish. They want, and if nobody teaches them what the difference is between right and wrong, and then you give them the power of what Kilgrave has of being able to make somebody do whatever they want to do, they will do whatever they want to do. It's it's kind of that thing of the question of if you were invisible and could get away with anything, would you still be good? And that's exactly what Kilgrave have, has. He can get away with anything. And what we see here is he doesn't turn good. He just does what comes natural, which is to do what's best for him. And that's all about being selfish and making sure that that he is taken care of. And I love that that's a theme here uh, in the show, and it's really strong. No, Anybody wants to understand, if you ask me, why why people need to be taught what's good and not what's wrong, just go watch a show like this and you'll understand. Like, there's no teaching Kilgrave what's good because he doesn't ever have to listen to anybody. That's a really powerful thing to see, I think, in our media. So I don't know if you guys picked up on that or what you thought about that, but to me, that was really awesome. What, 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 what was the, the, I'm sorry, the Catholic Church <laughs> thing? I was, I was confused about that. Well, just, it's a, I mean, it is a, it is a, a, a definitely a spiritual thing of saying that, you know, humanity is in need of being told what's right and wrong. You know, that we're inherently sinful and not we're inherently good. You know, the world tells us we're inherently good. At least it wants to believe that. But what we're shown in, in Jessica Jones is the world is not inherently good. People are not inherently good. They need to be taught right and wrong. Malcolm even makes a wonderful statement towards that. He says, what happened to, to the ideas that, you know, my parents talked about with my, you know, my grandma praying and, and bringing me to church. What, where did, where is this? You know, we live in a world that doesn't have that because people have rejected that. I just loved the idea that this show was talking about that idea because look what happens to Kilgrave who doesn't have parents that are able to instill in him the ideas, the difference between what's good, what's evil, what's right, what's wrong, what's moral, what's not. I, I mean— I, Because he doesn't I, have to listen. I have to say I, I actually re- I reject the idea of, of total depravity, like face value completely 100%. Like— to me, that's an absurd argument to have, but uh, and that's fine. We we can disagree about that, but I actually think that Jessica Jones, the show, actually kind of goes out of its way to avoid that argument in a lot of ways. Um, the fact that uh, up to that point, up to the point where he meets his parents again, um, we're kind of we're kind of shown his perspective on things. And like, oh, hey, I was treated so terribly in my in my childhood, and 
and and this was awful and and like this was terrible uh and then his parents come on board and they say no 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 you know you you weren't necessarily uh you just kind of had these extraordinary circumstances and i think that's actually kind of significant to the to kind of that narrative um he, i i i wouldn't even i to to me at least in my in my personal opinion, I wouldn't equate that to to a total depravity situation. It's it's more about his parents did abandon him. I mean, there there was a lot of wrongs and rights going on in that situation in general, right? I mean, it wasn't just hey, uh, I'm 12 years old and I can tell people what to do. I mean, that's a pretty extraordinary situation in in any situation. But uh, then again, then his parents left and and totally abandoned him, and they agree. Uh, told him and and agreed that that was a wrong thing to do so i mean you can't really say that it's just like left to their own devices kilgrave of course would have naturally become evil no well he was kind of abandoned by his parents it's jessica jones actually plays the middle very very well in this situation where um kilgrave is responsible for his own actions but his parents also admit their fault and i think that that's actually kind of an interesting point. It's not black and white. It's actually very, very uh, gray, and at least in my opinion. I mean, I, I see what you're saying about the need for uh, someone to, you know, uh, be there, you know, to to say, you know, what's right and what's wrong. But um, I, I think that, uh, you know, it it goes beyond. I, I well, I guess what I would say is I would take it like a step beyond um, what what you're saying, and that it's it's really sort of about the need for for parents to teach you what's right and wrong and not necessarily, you know, let's say society or whatever, or, you know, because, um, like for example, yeah, I mean, you brought up like that, that my parents were, you know, Catholic or are Catholic. They're very Catholic. Um, <laughs> but the, the thing, the thing about it is like, while they certainly maybe use that as sort of like the basis of their teachings of right and wrong for me, they were also very sort of, um, maverick cap- Catholics, you know, in the sense that they would be like, the church is good, but let's not forget that it's run by people and people can be um, stupid. And so, you know, maybe, you know, this is what's right, you know, and think for yourself and also, you know, don't like take everything into account instead of just, you know, what this society is saying. You know what I mean? So it is that sort of like parental influence to teach you like what's right and wrong and not just tell you what's right and wrong, but to teach you how to determine what's right and wrong. And that's what Kilgrave I think was missing was someone to teach him how to be a good person, not just teach him what's right and wrong. Well, and I, you know what I mean, yeah, I, I think you just made my point that at a certain point you're an adult and you have to start taking responsibility for your own actions I mean, we have a lot of traumatized characters in this show, and they are all handling it in different ways, and some of them are handling it in ways that are harmful to others. I I get that he suffered, and I get that there's a need for a good, strong childhood, and people can have traumatic pasts, but there is also a point where personal responsibility comes into play, and there's a point where you have to take 
you have to examine yourself and take responsibility for yourself. Well, and I like that you said that, Andy, because I think the one of the wonderful things about Kilgrave, I think he's also portraying the victimhood culture that we have created in our society, which we see rampant of people just not taking responsibility for their own actions. Like you said, you're an adult. Live up to your actions. And Kilgrave is different in the sense that he really did grow up in a place where he didn't have that instilled in him by parents because he couldn't have that instilled in him by parents because he never had to do anything he didn't want to do. You know, life is tough. Life is not, we, we don't live in freaking safe zones. There is no safe zone. Life is not a safe zone and there will never be one. So stop asking for one on your college campuses and stop trying to not be challenged. It's just not going to happen. That's not how life works. And Kilgrave has the ultimate safe zone because he doesn't have to have anybody tell him anything he doesn't want to hear. And I love that. I love that this character is doing, I think, both of these things of talking about this idea of what happens when we leave somebody to their own devices, but also becoming somebody that can never take responsibility for their own actions. Like, because it's never their fault. Like, it reminds me of the classic console line. It's not my fault. They told me they fixed it. Like, uh, it's, it's, I think this is for me, all the issues that I have with, with Jessica Jones and the, and, um, the, pacing thematically i love this stuff i eating this stuff up so i really 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 like it and i guess that brings me to the question after talking for an hour and 30 some odd minutes about jessica jones i'm kind of wondering where everybody is on the series uh and and what they'd rate it so andy i'm going to start with you i'm going to let you pick our rating scale and then just kind of let us know where you are um I always go out of five, so if that's cool with y'all. Um, yeah, I would say overall this is a, an extremely strong show. It's very good in almost every capacity that you can be good. I mean, the acting is great. I think the writing is mostly great. It looks great. Um, other than a few flaws in the fact that it sometimes was hard to watch... Then now that's not necessarily a bad thing, but you know, when I'm sitting down and I've had a hard day at work, maybe maybe I don't always want to sit down and watch something this unrelentingly dark. So I would give it four and a half out of five stars. I really loved it basically all the way through, and I wish we saw more storytelling like this in superhero properties. What about you, Mike? Um, well, I know that I was critical on, on some of the, the aspects, you know, of the ending and, and the way that they, they dealt with Kilgrave and everything, but I don't want that to overshadow how much I like this show. And I mean, there were numerous times in it where I was just like, oh my God, are you allowed to do, I, you know, cause you know, it's one of those things where it's like there, there was some skepticism in terms of like how this thing was going to play out and whether or not it would be as, you know, a dark and, and, and adult as it needed to be. And it totally was, you know, in in every, you know, way it, 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 that mattered. And 
I was really kind of happy with that. I was really happy with with Kristen Ritter's portrayal of the character. And on the whole, I I do think that it is like an amazing piece of work and and probably the best thing that that the Marvel Cinematic Universe has ever done. So, you know, I'll, I'll give it five stars out of five. Ooh. Wow! Yeah. That's what about you, Daniel? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not even any, anywhere close to that. I, I mean, I, don't get me wrong. I really enjoyed Jessica Jones, um, and 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 you know, uh, both Michael and Andy, and and even you and I, uh, um, were talking about this earlier. And I said, "Hey, uh, Daredevil was good. Was great, and Jessica Jones is great. And now." I'm ready for a break. I'm ready for a breather. I would like the next, I, and I know it's not going to be the case, but I would love for Luke Cage to be some silly, you know, uh, some silly <laughs> rompy kind of fun Marvel show. I wish that would happen. And I know, I know it's not going to happen, but it's like, I'm ready for that. I'm like ready for that kind of breather, which I, I think the movies do really well in a lot of ways. Um, and maybe, who knows, maybe the shows will, maybe Luke Cage will be a little lighter than both Daredevil and, and Jessica Jones. I doubt it. <laughs> now I want to see Luke Cage yeah, be a comedy. Yeah, exactly. A buddy cop of, or a buddy, a buddy show S- of some sort. Send, send your mail to Netflix and let them know. We want Luke Cage to be a, well, a if, romp. Well, if they did, if, <laughs> if they did Luke Cage and Iron Fist, maybe it, it actually could work as, as kind of a, a, a buddy show there. Yeah. If they hadn't messed with him so much in this yeah. thing, you know, like, okay, so his wife is dead and his bar has blown up. And, you know, if they had, if they like started with him where he was, like, well, I guess his wife was still dead at the start. Well, if they wouldn't have killed his <laughs> wife and, you know, they wouldn't have blown up his bar, then you could totally do that as a comedy. It would have been <laughs> but, awesome. Uh, you know, I mean, it could be the next uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, but it's not <laughs> it going could, to be. It's not going to be. We- Luke Cage's climactic scene is his dance <laughs> yeah. Um You know, yeah. I, I. Where he does the moonwalk. I would love to see that. I know we're not going to. I, I, I just, I think that Daredevil was heavy and Jessica Jones is even heavier. And, it, and it's good. I really like exploring these themes uh, and these concepts. And, and it's fantastic. I like where they're going with this TV mini universe inside the ultimate MCU. And I, I couldn't be more excited. I actually ultimately like Daredevil better. As a show, I think it's 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 uh, more successful. I think it works better, but I don't think uh, I'm more, I'm also interested in seeing what happens next with the, with the Jessica Jones character and the whole cast, honestly, and how she fits inside that universe. And uh, I, I mean, I'm not going to knock much many points off for that. I'm still going to give it a, like a four or five out of five for sure. I mean, I, I it was a great show with a great villain and a and great themes and, and, and really important things to talk about. Um, and I want to see where it goes next for sure. Like everything else in, in the Marvel universe. I do like this show. Um, but the end left me a little colder than I wanted. And that was frustrating. Um, as everybody who has listened understands, I really do like the thematic elements here. I love the way that the show deals with the dark and gritty nature of what happened. Now, if I ever hear somebody talk about how DC is all dark and gritty in its films, I don't ever want to hear that again. Because if you want to see dark and gritty, uh, Daredevil and Jessica Jones are as dark and as gritty as it gets. It's, But it's good. It's really good. Um, 
I wish the pacing had been different, and and that really frustrated me. And so for me, this is really only a three and a half out of five stars. That that's above average, though. So it it's still a good show. Uh, unfortunately, I feel like um, Daredevil did it better with its pacing, and that's real really one for me. Uh, Jessica Jones, though, is full of amazing performances by people, great themes. It's still worth you watching. Uh, Andy, you had mentioned this to me uh, when we were talking earlier today. But just to mention to people, this could be a tough show for somebody to watch if you've been through some stuff. um, Because they don't shy away uh, from dealing with the consequences of that. Uh, and so, uh, but I think because of it, 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 it's definitely stronger for the way that they dealt with it. So I'm really glad, uh, we got an opportunity to talk about it here. And I'm thankful to our Patreon supporters, uh, our associate producers here on the show, Ken Tripp and Davis Grayson. These guys are awesome. I appreciate them supporting the 602 club through Patreon each month. Now, if you go to patreon.com slash strike FM, you can see how these People signed up to support the show. We are a listener-supported network, and that makes sure that we can keep bringing great content to you each and every week through all of the different shows we have here. It's pretty expensive to run a, well, a network of this magnitude. It, it, it costs a lot, and it's through listeners like you that we can keep doing that without having to have lots of ads or anything else. So go to patreon.com slash FM. We have plenty of gifts we'd like to give back to you. Exclusive content, producer credit, seats in the content development team, patreon.zone. Uh, we've also got the Patreon roundtables. I mean, so much more. So check that out at patreon.com slash FM. I'm so glad that all of you joined me here. This was an amazing conversation. I think we talked about some awesome stuff, and I love getting to do that here. Uh, thank you to Hell's Kitchen for sponsoring the 602 Club and Ruby uh, for serving the great drinks. Uh, make sure to let everybody know where they can find you before we let you go. Andy, tell everybody where they can find you online and uh, what you're doing on the network. Well, everybody can check me out on my show that I co-host with three other women called Women at Warp, in which we discuss how women are portrayed on Star Trek. And you can also catch me on Twitter at First Time Trek, where I'm live tweeting my way through the Star Trek universe. And Daniel, uh, you've got plenty going on online and podcasts and everything, so let everybody know where they can find you. Absolutely. They can find me here on the network on Earl Grey. Uh the network's dedicated TNG show with my co-hosts Philip and Darren, where we always talk TNG. It's great. It's fun. Have a, we have a good time, and, and you can have a good time coming on over. Uh, and on Twitter, they can find me at One Up Dan. That's the number one, not the word. And Mike, you have always got so much going on with podcasts, uh, and of course, where they can find you online as well. Uh, well, uh, you can find me doing commentary Trek Stars right here on Trek FM each and every week. And uh, for the next two weeks, you can find me doing Standard Orbit here on Trek FM as well. Um, and then you can also find me on CommentaryTrackStars.com doing Commentary Track Star Babies. And you can find me on Twitter at Mumbles3K. Well, everyone can find me at Twitter at MattRushing02. You can find me on Instagram at MRushing, where you can also find Trek FM these days, so check that out. You can also find me doing The Orb with Christopher Jones, where we talk exclusively about Deep Space Nine here on the network. 
I also do Literary Treks with Dan, where we talk about the books and the comics of Star Trek. We also get the opportunity to interview the authors, which is just an all-out blast, so I hope you'll check that out. And you can also find me on my own personal blog at 42lifeinbetween.wordpress.com. Well, thank you so much for joining us in this supplemental, and you'll come back now, you hear? Thank you.